we can open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 13 this morning. If you're taking notes, you can see, I encourage you to do that. You can see that there's a space to do that on the back of the bulletin. Genesis chapter 13. Allow me to read, uh, if you'll follow as I read, beginning there in verse 1. Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been to the site where he had built the altar, and Abram called on the name of the Lord there. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents, but the lamb was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen and Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we're relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden, and the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west. For I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land. Through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. The life of Abraham, there's so much for us to learn from this man. Uh, Open-handed living. That's what we're going to see this morning. Open-handed faith, we'll call it, or open-handed living. Uh, Living out our faith. It's what faith in God ought to look like in our lives. Uh, In terms of this life and how we approach this life, we're to approach it open-handed. 
You know, there's certainly things as we think about embracing the kingdom of God. When we're looking to embrace the kingdom of God, that's something we're going to hold closed-fisted, right? Not going to let go of. But when we think of living here in this life, that's what I'm referring to here. We're, we're saying, hey, we want to live in this life with, with this open-handed as it pertains to the things of this life, the things that come and go, the things that God provides us. And I think we see that in, that tech, in the text this morning, and it will become more clear as we press in. Uh, what the Lord has for us here. The first point that we see that open-handed faith is quick to return and enjoy the promises of God. If you remember from the last time we were together, right? Abram went up from uh, he 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 traveled around. He had left uh, the promised land area and went into Egypt. That's what we see there. In chapter 12, verse 10, uh, there was a famine that took place, and he, he left that to escape, left the promised land that God was showing him to escape that famine, and ended up in Egypt. Here, as we open there in verse 1 of 13, we see that after the famine, that Abram was quick to return to the promised land that God had been showing him there in chapter 12. And we see that that move, he, he doesn't, as we look at that move, we see that Abram doesn't get stuck in Egypt. I want us to think about that in just a minute. Abram doesn't get lost in Egypt. And you could see why a person could get stuck there, having the experience that Abram had experienced, right? Right? He had had a lot of financial success. Abram, his time in Egypt had produced a lot of, uh, of profit, okay? And so from a business perspective even, you could say, hey man, this Egypt has been really good to me. And so you could see someone trying to make arrangements to stay in Egypt. But I think it's important to recognize that as we open 13, that Abram doesn't do that. He gets out of Egypt. You see, material blessing, uh, think of your own material blessing. Material blessing, when, when that faucet is turned on, right, and the blessing's just coming out of that faucet, it's natural for you and I to keep coming back to the faucet uh, and make sure you get uh, everything uh, that's coming from that faucet. It, it's, it's logical to keep coming back to the faucet and make sure you drained everything out of that line, right? Uh, you want to you wanna hang on, if you want to say it another way, you want to hang on to that sugar daddy, right? right? You want to, hey, let's keep that coming. Now, maybe that's not the perfect parallel, depending on what comes to your mind when I say sugar daddy. But, but here's the point. Riches... Uh, Though riches can, can steal our focus off of God, they can uh, keep us actually from following the Lord. And, and that's why I want us to pause and see. Riches can keep us from following the Lord, can keep us from being where the Lord wants us to be. That's a point to write down. Riches can keep us from being where the Lord wants us to be. Abram was quick to return. Physically, he was able to let go of Egypt and get back to the promised land that God was showing him. And that's significant. 
And that happens because, I think, of a quick return of his heart and mind to the Lord. Remembered, as we argued a few weeks back, that Abram did not have a faithful response while in Egypt escaping the famine. Right? That's what we argued. And we looked there in chapter 12. Right? He did not have a, a faithful response. He, he was willing, if I can remind you, he was willing to put the promise at risk right, to protect his own skin. So he stumbles there, and we pointed that out. He stumbles there in 12, but he's quick to return. He's quick to uh, get up from the stumbling and look to God. We see there in verse 4 of chapter 13 where, he's, where it tells us that that's exactly what Abram did. That here he had just stumbled. He starts this walk of faith. He has this amazing call on his life that God makes this promise. And we see him as the man of faith. That he leaves uh, what is known to him uh, for the unknown of these promises that aren't yet realized And yet he quickly stumbles is what we saw. Quickly stumbles. But here in verse 4, he gets up from the stumbling. Verse 4, chapter 13, look at it there. It says that Abram called on the name of the Lord. He's quick to return. He sees his situation and is able to recognize God's hand intervening on his behalf. Okay? He sees a situation and he is able to recognize God's hand in his life intervening on his behalf. And so let's see the intervention. Look at verse 1. Abram's getting to leave Egypt. Okay? Abram is getting to leave Egypt. And he's getting to leave Egypt, if you look there, with his wife. All right? Just for those that weren't with us and look back to 12, that almost didn't happen. That almost didn't happen. Clinch-fisted living for this life is fixated on whatever it's trying to keep in its hand. Clinch-fisted living for this life is fixated on whatever it's trying to keep in its hand. Whereas open-handed living or open-handed faith is able to enjoy and have contentment with what God places in the hand. You see, Abram was quick to return to open-handed living, quick to return to a place of looking to God, quick to return to a place of trusting God. He, he had been living clenched-fisted. Right? That's what got him into sort of the trouble that he got into there. He had been living clenched-fisted. And in clenched-fisting, trying to save his own skin, like, uh-oh, Pharaoh's going to ask, like, hey, just say you're my sister, like that whole ordeal, remember? And Abram was, was living clenched-fisted. And when he did that, he almost lost it all. He almost lost his wife to Pharaoh. But instead now, instead that didn't happen. God intervened. So that he did not lose his wife to Pharaoh. So he sees this, right? He sees that he almost lost it all, right? But instead, as he's returning, guess who's, as he's returning from this, who's by his side, verse 13, verse 1? His wife. (laughs) Certainly the promises of God are ringing in in his ears, As he is thinking back to those promises where God tells him, I will make you into a great nation. I will curse anyone that treats you with contempt. And he can see as he is returning from 
from Pharaoh who could have crushed him, who could have taken his wife, and he would have never saw her again. He can see as he is returning with all his things and more. He can see as he is returning with his wife. He can see that when he tried to save his life, he almost lost it. Right? And he almost lost his wife as well. And so he is quick to see that open-handed living is faithful living. He left Egypt with his wife by his side. And I would say that there's a great deal of peace that came in his heart as he is returning to the Negev, that is returning to the promised land with his wife. The only reason, folks, that he is not mourning a loss is because God's, because of God's promise to preserve and bless him. And this would certainly be clear to him, and this would certainly motivate his worship that we see there in verse 4. You see, open-handed living recognizes God. It recognizes God's prerogative to give and to take away. As Paul says, right, that he has learned to be content in whatever situation with little or with a lot. Paul says that he has learned to be content in whatever situation, whether he's well-fed or hungry, whether he's in abundance or in need. Abram wrestles with the fact that ultimately he's reliant on God, right? And he's seeing, I think in this moment that Abram is seeing, uh, this is Abram speaking, I think, in his his head, if I could just get in his head for a moment, that hey, he's thinking, man, I, I sinfully tried to preserve my life there in Egypt and, and even escaping the famine, we could press into that a little bit further, right? That Abram is thinking, I sinfully tried to preserve my life and I almost lost everything. Raises the question, right? Am I content? For certainly this, this turning point in his life raised the question between him and God that he had to ask himself, am I content with God? Am I content to trust God? Am, am I ready to focus on faith? This, these are good questions for us. Am I content with God? Am I, am I ready to focus on faithfulness? Am I ready to focus on faithfulness in my life to God? Am I ready to fix my heart and mind on that? Am I ready to trust God with the results in my life? God has proven himself more trustworthy <laughs> again and again. And, and certainly Abraham is knowing, like, I can't. He couldn't preserve himself, could he? He couldn't. And he is seeing that. And we ought to see that as we think of our own lives, that we can't preserve ourselves to begin with. I think we get arrogant to think that we can, but we can't preserve ourselves. It is God who is able. In any and all circumstances, it is God who is able to preserve you. It is he who sustains us. It is, it is he who decides how he does that, right? See, he's, did you hear that part of it? <laughs> he is the one that sustains us. And it is he, that's why I can live open-handed, because he, it is he who is going to be the one that decides how he sustains us. That is sometimes the harder part. You see, it is in that context even that the Apostle Paul over in Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whatever I have. 
whatever situation God has placed me in. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he's the one that will provide what I need. Abram's wife, think of it, think of it more, like press into it more, what Abram's leaving, thinking as he's leaving with his wife by his side, right? His wife, Sarai, was a good woman. She is referred to in 1 Peter 3. I mean, men think of this. All right? She was a whole, it says she was a holy woman who put her hope in God. She was a woman who obeyed and listened to her husband. She was a woman with imperishable quality. It tells us she was a woman with imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth and value in God's sight. This is the woman Abram knew. A Proverbs 31 woman, a wife of noble character who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her and he will not lack anything good because she rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of his life. Without divine intervention, this is the woman Abram would have lost. This is the woman that we're told... Sarah was. Left to his own strength and devices, he would be grieving, not enjoying here in 13.1. Notice his sin did not preserve him or his wife. God was merciful. God showed his grace. God uh, showed his unmerited favor so that he, Abram, is able to leave with his wife and wealth. Ultimately, what's also important for us to note is that ultimately, ultimately, these are things Pharaoh didn't give him to begin with, okay? Right? They were Abram's, that is his wife and wealth, they were Abram's by God's grace. And Abram kept them by God's grace. And more wealth, as we see there, was given to Abram. How? By God's grace. Grace. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that Abram left Egypt for the land of promise with all that he had. Verse 2, look there, very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. In keeping with his promises, God not only protects Abram from Pharaoh's rage, but allows him to leave there as a very wealthy man. Remember that it was in Egypt that Abram acquired flocks, chapter 12, verse 16, and herds and male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. And this guy had camels, okay? That's a sign of wealth, all right? When Pharaoh found out the truth about Sarai and gave her back to Abram, God protected her. Abram didn't, excuse me, Pharaoh didn't touch or hurt Abram's wife. And, and Pharaoh didn't attempt to take back all the wealth he had given to Abram. And the credit there is not on Pharaoh's generosity, folks. Right? Remember back. Remember God intervened and hit Pharaoh with plagues. The credit is God's. Pharaoh uh, was fearful. and He wanted Abram and everybody with Abram to get out. When you live open-handed... 
it's easier to enjoy the provision of God. You know why? Uh, and I feel like that that's where Abram was, is that he was in this place of open-handed faith, open-handed living. And when you're living like that, it's easier to enjoy the provision of God. And the reason for that is because you can see it more clearly. You right? <laughs> you can see it. It's very clear who gets the credit for what's in your hand when you're living with it like this. I want to ask a question as we I think will help us reflect on this point a little bit further. Do you have an enemy? Just think of that in your own, you don't answer out loud, but do you have an enemy? Do you have something right now in your life or in your past that disrupts your peace? That, that you can think of, and now we can all point to a common enemies we have for sure. And so you can think of that as well, but maybe there's a specific enemy. And your life, right, that has disrupted your peace, that tempts to wreck your home on an ongoing basis. What's been your response? Right? What's been your response to that enemy? Is it wheel and deal? Right? Like we saw Abram do in chapter 12. He tried to wheel and deal with it. Is it to, to take vengeance against that enemy? What's your response? Is it impatience? Is it to self-protect and engage in anxious battling? That this clinch-fisted response, I got this. We see here that Abram is quick to get to a place where he says, never mind, God, I don't have it. I was trying to do this, but I don't have it. Right? And he's quick to get to a place to admit that. Abram is quick to get to a place where he says, man, I, I, I've had been living frantic. I, I had been living scared. I've been angry. And maybe, maybe some of you are in that place, right? That in your walk with God, you've been living clenched-fisted instead of open-handed faith. And you need to travel back where you formerly have been with the Lord. That's what it says here in verse 3. Let's look at it. Verse 3, Abram goes back. He travels back to where he had formerly been. Where are you right now? How you been living before the Lord? Frantic, anxious, battling at every turn just because you're afraid that you might lose something of value. Abram learns to live this uh, open-handed faith. He travels back to where he had formerly been, verse 4, to the site where he had built the altar, and Abram calls on the name of the Lord. You see, he sees there, I think, that left to his own strength and devices, that it would not have worked out like it did for him. That without God's divine intervention, Abram would have lost his life, lost his wealth, but instead God preserves his life and makes him rich. And Abram sees it. I imagine him counting his blessings, right? As it says there, he travels back where he had formerly been. He, opened, he travels back, he opens his hands 
and he reassesses his faith. He's reevaluating there as he builds this altar and worships. I, would, I, I think he, he's, he's certainly recommitting himself, going back to the site where he had built the altar. And it makes me think of places in the scripture in the New Testament, whether it's Galatians or in Revelation chapter 2, that there's this call to return to the love we had at first. Right? Turn back to God who called you right, by his grace in Christ. Abram looks at what he has. And give thanks. He looks at what God promises that he will have. So there's things that God's promised that Abram doesn't have. Right? And so you see, he could be in that place where he's actually back. He's like, all right, God, I'm back. And he could start complaining. Right? Like, because a lot of the promises that God puts to him, some of the main ones, are not yet seen. He doesn't do that. Right? <laughs> He gives thanks, this, this thankfulness. We, what we see here, verse 4 and even and eight, verse 18, as we'll point out later, that this Godward worship in his life, and it's, it's authenticated, right, that this is where he's at, even by his actions next, beginning there in verse 5. We see this Godward worship and we see it in action there. It's our second point. Open-handed faith is quick to waive one's rights and enjoy immeasurable security. Open-handed faith is quick to waive one's rights and enjoy immeasurable security. There, verse 5. And follow as I read. I'll read through verse 9. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents. But the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together. For they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen since we're relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. And here we see faith in God brings immeasurable security because you are entrusting yourself to the one who is able and desires to provide for you all that you need. I want to say that again. I encourage you to write it down. That faith in God brings immeasurable security. You know... uh, I just want to pause right there. I'm going, to, I'm going to repeat this whole thing again, but I want to pause right there. This idea of security, right? So, so much uh, in what we run after in this life is to get security, okay? Whether you want your friendships to be secure, whether you want your finances to be secure, your career to be secure, like security is key, Right? It's a key. So this is a really big deal. And there's all kinds of, the world presents all kinds of opportunity and and promises all kinds of different levels of security. But in the end, okay, ultimately, all those promises that come to us from this world cannot 
cannot deliver on any of the security. Whatever this is coming to your mind, it cannot deliver on any of the security that it promises. We see this. Lord, help us to see this. So faith in God, though, faith in, Lord, church, help us, right? We want to see this, Lord. We're calling out, Lord, help us to see that faith in God, though, brings immeasurable security because you're entrusting yourself to the one who is able and desires to provide you with all that you need. And this trust This trust that brings immeasurable security makes you unafraid to waive your rights. And that's where we have Abram. That's how he's in this place, right? This trust, which brings this immeasurable security, right? The world's filled with lies. You try to get security from the world, it will let you down. It will disappoint you. It will not come through, okay? It won't work, right? But put your trust in God, and it will bring you to this place of being immeasurably secure. And when you're there, then you can be unafraid to waive your rights, which is super important for the Christian. This idea of waiving your rights. And I'm, I'm like, like, this is hitting me really fresh because it's, it's often that, you know, you're counseling and you're discipling with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and really that is the call on the Christian life to die to self, right? To waive your rights. And it's like, man, why can't we get that? And I think we can't get it because we don't realize this immeasurable security, this trust We have to trust that we are secure in Christ. And so we're scared to waive the rights because we haven't taken that step of trust. Abram's able to let Lot go first. That's the symbol of it. We see it there in the text. And that's always stood out to me, that Abram gives Lot first choice, right? I would not give my nephews first choice. Okay? Right? Abram's the boss. Abram's the one with the authority. The one the promise belongs to. But look at what concerns Abram here. Look at what concerns him. Verse 8. Please, he says, let's not fight. That's what concerns him. Not, hey, uh, Lot, you want to go toe-to-toe with me, you lousy, snot-nosed, ninny-mug, whatever, you know, I don't know. No, there is a contentment that enables Abram to come in low, to waive his rights, not demanding, as he could have very well demanded, I get first choice, I'm the one of the promise. He doesn't do that. And that's something... He didn't do that. The, the land is occupied and there is only so much pace that they can grab hold of. That's clear in the text. And they are well aware, that, hear this, they are well aware which land would be best for their animals. There was two options and one was more fertile, had better water options. This isn't like two equal choices, okay? Just be clear. That's not what's in front of them. Abram waived his rights completely 
And he didn't even try to make sure that Lot would make an equitable decision. Like, uh, the, that boggles my mind. I would have been, I would have helped Lot along. Okay, we're going to, here's, you know, here, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, he holds it very loosely. He says there, if you go left, I'll go right. You choose. In Abram, we see this contentment. In Abram, we see this uh, gratitude even. We see this peace, certainly. We see this confident rest. We see uh, someone who, who's able to live open-handedly and not respond frantically, not angry. He, he would have had every right. Abram would have had every right to throw his weight around, right? Uh, but he, is not, he doesn't. He doesn't get angry. He is not anxious. He is not fearful. We don't see that. He's not fearful. Not here. And I think that's very surprising. Again, it would be very reasonable to think. And it would seem right to think, man, I can't just give a complete green light to this. I've got to think about how this will impact me and my family. Right? And after all, this call, this call, I mean, I'm, Ab I'm Abram. The call was to me. Right? And uh, I'm the one of the promise. That's not his approach. The open-handed faith is, and hear this, hear this about open-handed faith is able to face strife, living open-handed. Here's, man, we want this, y'all. We want this, Lord. We want to live this open-handed faith we see here in the text. We want the freedom that comes from being able to live this open-handed faith. This is, this is the blessing, right? <laughs> open-handed faith is able to face strife, face a difficult argument. Open-handed faith is able to face a major conflict and waive one's rights. We see this condescension. We see in this condescension an immeasurable security in Abram. That is, when I say we see in this condescension, I'm saying we see in his coming in low we see an immeasurable security in Abram, almost a flippancy. That's how secure he is. It, it almost like he sees flippant about it, doesn't it? I mean, that's how I read it. He's like, you go left, and I'll go right. Or, hey, you go right, and I'll go left. Right? He's, he's like, well, I don't, whatever, bro. Let's have some tea. Okay. It's just like, what, what, man? He is taking something that is not potato, patata, right? That is not six of one, half dozen of the other. It is not an equal choice. But he is making it seem as if it were. And he seems unhindered by it. My goodness. Almost like there is joy even in being able to offer his nephew uh, this solution to their conflict. It's almost like it, it, it's joy. It, Wow. And what a difficult thing for us to waive our rights. Especially, and let's be, let's be straight with one another. Right, what a difficult thing for us to waive our rights, period. Period. No matter what it is. But how much more difficult for us to waive our rights when it has to do with our wealth? Wealth is a hard thing to hold open-handed. Everyone knows Right? And why is that? Well, everyone knows that money can make you happy. Now, some of you here, I took notice, I 
took that as an opportunity to drink some water. You say, well, how am I going to dig myself out of that one? It's true. Everyone knows that money can make you happy. This is universal. Money is something we pursue. And while it's true that having money can help solve hard times and provide even basic comforts and enjoyment, it's also true that it's a great source of trouble, you see. That money can make you happy, right? I mean, you spent money this, this week. You, you paid your utility bill, and that made everybody in your house happy, <laughs> right? So don't get all spiritual on me and be... In a way that, does, like, I think actually it's biblical. I think that we see that God provides us these, that it can make us happy. It's why you, it's universally, it's something we pursue. It provides basic comforts and enjoyment. But it's also a source of great trouble. Jesus says, not simply that money is hard to hold open-handed, but that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, which is impossible, by the way. It's easier for that than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Money. And our rights to it produces in us major stumbling block. Because security is really important to us. And wealth gives us access to that security. And when wealth is threatened, we go clinch-fisted, not open-handed. Did you follow that? But God in his grace gives us the ability to see that when we entrust ourselves to him, he provides immeasurable security that no money can buy. And God in his grace allows even a rich man to be able to see this truth. With God, all things are possible. Right? Not as long as I have, fill in the blank, all things are possible. But with God, all things are possible. So I get back to this kind of living. Entrust ourselves to him. He provides immeasurable security. No money, no situation can provide. Church, hear it. Entrust Let's entrust ourselves to him. Let's hear this, read this, see this. And in the power of the Spirit, say yes to this, that we want to entrust ourselves to him and see, and we will see that he provides immeasurable security no money or situation can provide. This is what our faith can produce. This is what our faith does produce in us, should produce in us. You know, the other thing we see here that in the face of major conflict, we see how unity is made possible with this kind of open-handed living, open-handed faith. Abram models what it is to live in unity and do everything we can to live at peace with one another. As we're instructed in Romans 12, verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or again, over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, uh, tells us there, instructs us there, that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Abram spared nothing in his quickness to waive his rights for the sake of what? Peace. Spared nothing. He spared nothing. Just like 
Romans 12.18 tells us, just like Ephesians 4.3 tells us, Abram spared nothing in his quickness to waive his right for the sake of peace. Please, Lot. <laughs> when we come in low and waive our rights, we have no problem promoting peace that cost us. Wow. Really? Yeah. That's true. When we come in low and we waive our rights, y'all, we have no problem promoting peace that cost us. Open-handed faith does not just desire peace. It promotes it, you see. So we can have a lot of Christians say they desire peace but they are closed-fisted, man, and they desire peace based on a bunch of conditions. Right? <laughs> no. That, that, that is not what the word of the Lord calls us to. That is not what the, uh, the bride of Christ is to look like. We are to look like this, open-handed. Right? Open-handed faith doesn't just desire. No, open-handed faith desires and is able to promote peace let this be us even when the crossroads are costly and significant so we've got to get here right it's important to take note that this arrangement this whole approach we see by Abram was not reciprocated by Lot and that's part of the cost for you to choose today, say, I want this open-handed faith. For you to choose that today, man, just so you know, I want you to see here the part of the cost. Look at Lot. Right? Abram doesn't have a good partner. All right? It, Abram's approach, that open-handed faith, if you choose it today, it will not be reciprocated necessarily by the one sitting next to you. Wait a second. Well, I don't know then. I mean, I'm in if we can like agree that everybody's going to do it. <laughs> right? No, Lot took full advantage of Abram's generosity. He did not offer any in return. He did not attempt to make a more equitable arrangement. Look at verse 10. It says Lot looked out. Got a lot. Here's this. He's like, this is great. All right, look at him. He's loving it. Verse 10, Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere, like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for who? Himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Hmm. Did you see that? Did you see that? It says there, look at it. That's what I want to see. That the entire plain of the Jordan, it says, was well watered everywhere. Like what? Like what? 
Yeah, like the Lord's garden. It was like the Garden of Eden. You see the cost of waiving your rights? The other guy might get what looks like the Garden of Eden. Are you sure? This is worth it. See, doing so with a man, Abram living like this with a man, who was sure to take advantage for his own personal gain. That was Lot. And how often I've heard, how often I've heard, I would wave in counseling and, 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 and working with couples specifically, how often I've heard, hey, I would waive my rights. If you can assure me, they'll waive theirs too. Yeah. That is not conciliatory. Right? That, that says, that's, uh, that's the first one that says that is saying, you know what? I want to keep this war going. I, I want to keep this battle brewing. That's what that's saying, just FYI. Right? That is not open handed faith. It is not Christian faith. Abram's living out open handed faith with a man, a nephew, a family member. Hello, right? It's like, yeah, I know. That's okay. And, 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 uh, and so he's living this open-handed faith out with, in very close proximity, okay, to a man who's living close-fisted, living clinch-fisted. He's generous. Abram's generous with a guy that's going to cost, right? He, he condescends. Abram condescends. He comes in low with a man that he could have cut off completely. Right? Maybe arguably should have cut off completely. But he doesn't. Does it remind you of a man that you know? Jesus who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he became a servant, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. And the point in bringing this up here is that Abram was, was not Jesus. <laughs> and how often I've heard when saying, talking about, man, we're to live this open-handed faith, this waving our rights, how often I've heard, well, I'm not Jesus. And, but here we have an example of a man <laughs> Old Testament man who just finished stumbling who gets up and faith in God enables him to waive his rights and live open handed you can imagine Lot's eyes right as he gazes out and looks over at what looks like the Garden of Eden to him and, and, and Lot, like Adam and Eve, who don't resist the fruit from that same garden, Lot looks on this piece of land blinded by selfish desires, greed causing him to not see Abram at all. Just the offer. You see that? <laughs> And so he doesn't skip a beat. Lot doesn't skip a beat. And he separates himself 
from Abram and journeys eastward to the cities on the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. Here we find another reason to live open-handed and enjoy it. Here we find another reason uh, to waive our rights and submit ourselves to God. That is to trust God with the outcome for Lot's quest to what looked like the Garden of Eden. Right? Lot's quest to what looks like the Garden of Eden was worse than San Francisco. Right? And worse than that, Lot would have known What verse 13, look there, he would have known what verse 13 states, that the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. He would have known that. But I imagine, think of it, because it's like, Lord, what do you want to teach me through this man Lot? I see what you're doing with Abram here, but what's the other side of that? Well, we got Lot, and I imagine his arrogant mind was mixed nicely like a cocktail drink with his selfish desire for more wealth. And he probably thought to himself, well, well, he probably thought very little of his soul and more of his bank account. And so he all too quickly separated from the one who I imagine helped keep watch over his soul quick to separate from the one who kept watch over his soul. You know, and, and, and just think about us. Think about yourself right now in this moment. How quick are we to think we are wise? How quick are we right now as we sit? Surely as we sit right where we're at, just think of yourselves, if you will, for a moment. How quick are we to think we are wise and ready and mature? Especially when we see the one who leads us stumble Oh, I could do better than this guy. In fact, he's a weight around my neck. And then look at our aims. You see, our aims, like Lot in Lot's case, the aims, the things that he was after, should have alerted him that he was not ready, that he was not mature. This should have been a signal for Lot to stop and say, I'm, I'm too much thinking of this life. That, that should have signaled him. I'm, I'm too willing. And that should signal us, folks, this morning. If you're trying to assess where do you fit in this picture of Lot or Abraham of, of open-handed living or close-fisted uh, uh, living out your faith, right? How do you assess? Well, one way to assess is that, is that man, if you're thinking too much of this life, if you're too willing to be quick to separate and take advantage of the one that nourished you. If, if you're too quick to separate yourself from the needed nourishment of the word, that's a sign you're close-fisted living. And you know, this close-fisted living has a serious condition that always accompanies it. Ready for it? All right. This close-fisted living has a serious condition that always accompanies it, and it is spiritual blindness. And we can't see our immaturity for what it is. (laughs) We just see that we're running to a nice garden, and so we're telling everybody, back off, right? That's what happens in a closed, clenched-fisted. Lot didn't care or think to care about all the dangers he was about to expose his family to. Lot, can you hear that? Lot didn't care 
or think to care of all the dangers he was about to expose his family to. You see, Lot didn't care or think to care because he couldn't see to care. He was spiritually blind. When you are living close-fisted, you only see what you're striving for. You hear that? And spiritually, you become blind. And when you are blind, you run from that which once fed and nourished your soul and brought life to your home. When you're blind, you will run from that and instead run headlong with great seal to your garden of Eden that you will soon find is filled with pain, destruction, and great loss. You will soon find that it is no garden of Eden at all. There is nothing there that nourishes you. Close-fisted living is living that is done when our love for the world is too much and when we are grabbing for things in the world we become blind to the things of God and we waste our lives close-fisted living doesn't secure anything for you it destroys everything lot shows us that shows us that love for this world ruin you Abram shows us that open-handed faith blesses you. It's filled with comfort of immeasurable security. And so we say, let's be quick, like Abram, to return to God and entrust ourselves to him. No matter where you find yourself this morning, let's be quick to take Abram and learn from him. If you're a lot, if you're a lot this morning, you have... uh, And you have got your eye on a garden of Eden that will never be. Only Christ can take you there. The opulence of this world is not, it is not much more than a mirage. You see, I want to say, the opulence of this world is not much more the the appeal, the desire. It is not much more than a mirage. It is more. Because it is filled with snares that will entangle you and steal your life, right? And steal your joy, it's little by little. Do you feel that life this morning? Do you feel that life is getting leached out of you? Maybe you're somewhere then in Lot's camp. I encourage you to be quick this morning to return and enjoy the promises of God. Live open-handed faith where where waiving your rights brings the joy of immeasurable security. Verse 14, we see that God spoke to Abram and reiterated his promises to him. In verse 18, we see that Abram worships again. Abram's worship to God calling out to God, proclaiming God, tells us that he sees his life in context of God keeping his promises to him. It tells us, this worship that we see in Abraham, it tells us that Abram sees his life in context of what God has provided, in context of God's faithful provision and intervention. And a good question for us to ask ourselves this morning, right now, as we move to close this down and process what the Lord's teaching us here. Do you see your life in this context? 
in this context of God's faithful intervention and provision. Do you this morning see your life in this context? Do you this morning see your life in the context of a Savior who died and purchased you? In the context of a Heavenly Father that sent His only Son for you? Are you able to say even now that here I am and what I have, what I have, I have because of the goodness of God to me? You know, and the response could be, well, you know, I'm hearing some of this and, uh, and, and a response could be right now this morning, well, if God made me rich like he did Abram and if God gave me a wife like he gave Abram and, and if, if God idiot-proofed uh, me like he idiot-proofed Abram, then I would be singing God's praises too. And maybe that's your response. And I want to challenge you that that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. In fact, what we sometimes see in those who claim to be Christian, when these types of scenarios plant themselves in our fear, what we, what we often see is us wanting more from Egypt, not less. You see, Abram's worship, with, he, he worships here in this text, and take notice that Abram's worship is without any warning or direct confrontation from God. And I think that tells us something of his faith, that he realizes what he has and what, it, what he ultimately wants comes from God. It's been secured for him by God. He ran to Egypt to escape a famine in the promised land. And I don't know if that was another stumble on his part, but I know we and you and I are tempted to run to Egypt to escape the famine of our souls. You hear this? You're tempted right now to run to Egypt, to run to the world, to escape the famine that is welling up right now within your soul. There are hungry people. Each one of you are very hungry. And you are eating and eating and eating. And you will eat this week. Right? And the world will be out there presenting to you things to eat, things to eat. This is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. This will satisfy. This will satisfy. This will satisfy. And, and we are tempted, right, to run out there and look to all the things and begin to try to feed our souls. But it will not feed our souls. It will not satisfy. That's why even living in Christ, living this side of the cross, knowing Jesus, we need to hear this. Because we live in this world, even as we know Jesus, and we can forget we can forget, you could forget this week that as you're approached and the world tries to feed you and say, oh no, this will satisfy, let go of that, grab hold of this. The world tries to feed you this lie, even as you are in Christ. And you need to be reminded this morning that if you are in Christ, you are the satisfied ones. Right? At least you ought to be if you have Christ. Abram had the promise. And when he stumbled, and it hit him that he had stumbled, he was quick to return. If you have Christ this morning, you should be quick to see that you are the satisfied one. And this world has nothing for you. I pray uh, 
you even in hearing that right now, feel a great contentment welling up inside of you as you're reminded of this truth to return to your first, first love, that you are the satisfied one. This world has nothing for you. Let Spirit, will you well that up inside that this is the truth and the world is lying. And if you do not have Christ, I pray you see this world has nothing for you. If you do not have Christ this morning, I pray that you see this world has nothing for you. And I pray that you see that in Christ, your thirst can be quenched. And it is not quenched by this world. It will not be quenched. It will not be satisfied by this world, but by Jesus Christ who is the living water. Our hunger has been satiated because he is the bread of life. This is the open-handed living faith we must put on display. No matter our situation, we want and need nothing from this world because we have been given everything we need in Christ. Oh, how we stand out as his sons and daughters, strong and confident, immeasurably secure when we trust ourselves to him. Let it be so. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to come and bring conviction as you have illuminated this text for us this morning and we look to learn from it in the power of your spirit, we pray that you will help expose our hearts so that we can respond obediently to what you've put in front of us here this morning, that we can live open-handed faith, that we can be quick to waive our rights, that we can be quick if we have strayed from you and stumbled, that we can be quick to return to you and, and see all the blessings that we have. And certainly, uh, they are numerous, and even as we look to your provision for us by sending your only son so that we might have life and have forgiveness of sins. While we have deserved to be called guilty, you in Christ say that we are innocent. We thank you for this blessing. And Lord, so I pray that as we reflect on this passage, Holy Spirit, that you would stir in our hearts so that we can be a people that model this kind of faith where we are quick to, to waive our rights and know the immeasurable security that can come from entrusting ourselves to you, Lord, that, that you would help warn us, that you would help alert our, our conscience, our souls, God, awake our conscience, that, that our consciences would not be... Uh, would not be cauterized, but Lord, will you, the, your Holy Spirit this morning would, would soften and awaken our conscience so that we can see when, Lord, when we are, are running after and looking to uh, this world to satisfy us, when we are looking for security that comes from this temporary setting. God, help us to see it. 
because it will not give us the security we are after. It will just bring destruction. So, Lord, we're asking for you to expose this in us and reveal this to us so that we can know the immeasurable security that has from that can be had from entrusting ourselves to you. We want this. We want to live out our faith in this way. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.